0: Let's listen keenly and observe this group fondly known as the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove.
1: Yes, welcome dear listener. This is the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove podcast. We've got our technology sorted over the last few minutes. Sorry for the slight delay on the live stream if you were there waiting for us, but we've made it. Uh, thanks a lot to Woz who's going to join us. So this, of course, is the Iron Fist Velvet Club podcast. We talk about news and politics and sex and religion. I'm Trevor, a.k.a. the Iron Fist. With me, as always, is Paul, the 12th man.
0: G'day, listeners. G'day, Trevor. G'day, Woz.
1: As you can, as you can hear and see, dear listener, he's coming through loud and clear and courtesy of a magnificent broadband connection that he's managed to, to, to get hold of. And also joining us uh, is Woz, the beer sponsor. Woz, welcome aboard.
2: G'day, listeners. How are you going? So
1: was um, basically joined us in the last minute. <laughs> so he wasn't expecting any of this, and has no knowledge of what we're going to be talking about. Most probably, so so um, wing it. so cut was some slack because he has no idea of of what topics are on the agenda. But uh, he's well read, and he'll be able to to, to provide some uh, useful commentary. No doubt, right? Um, so dear listener, this is episode uh, two hundred forty nine. Briefly, I want to tell you about episode 250 because coming up is Anzac Day. And mm. for years, dear listener, I've been banging on about um, Anzac Day ceremonies and how they're filled with just Christian prayers, Christian hymns, and invariably a Christian pastor of some sort as, as master of ceremonies more often than not. And um, I've... You know, I'm collecting, I've am collected a lot of um, Anzac Day pamphlets and it's one of the things that just gets me. So, of course, with the coronavirus, there's no, um, there are no uh, Anzac Day um, ceremonies this year. So what I've decided to do is I'm going to, over the next day or two, record a special podcast, which you can download between, you know, at some stage, probably from about, what are we on now, Tuesday? Probably about Thursday I'll be available download it, and then sometime on Anzac Day, dawn if you like, you can just walk out onto your driveway and with your earphones and play what will be a 20-minute Iron Fist Velvet Glove Secular Anzac Day Ceremony. And um, are you looking forward to that one, Was? That's a great idea. Yeah, yeah awesome. Yeah. So um, uh, it's going to be different to the normal one because I find that the normal Anzac Day, is is sort of glorifying of war to some extent, it seems to me. And so I'll issue a heartfelt thank you to our soldiers who have fought for us and a heartfelt apology for sending them off onto lots of wars that they had no... that we just shouldn't have been involved in in the first place. And um, and a few, yeah, interesting readings and things. So that will be on... um, Look for that in your downloads and that will appear... Sometime around Thursday, I suspect. So, so that's coming up. And last week we had our great debate. Um, and I, it was interesting because um, basically uh, Hugh said to me, "I found a guy who's willing to debate Trev, and here's his name." And I said, "Great, whatever you've agreed to, I'm up for it." And I really had—I came into it quite cold. I had no idea of what they were going to say in particular. And so I was quite surprised by the philosophical argument of Matthew. Paul, what what did you think of his argument? I know there's been a bit of toing and froing uh, on the Facebook page.
0: Do you know, it was a little bit over my head, I have to admit, because I have never really studied that uh, angle of, you know, the theological debate myself. So I'm not all that familiar with that uh, side of it. Um, it was it was interesting uh it's not the sort of thing that i'd um, willingly su- submit myself to on a weekly basis it was a little arcane you know but interesting to hear somebody who's willing to go into bat for god uh, as as um you know uh, useless an argument that it is in my humble opinion it was it, it's it's nice to see somebody who's who's got the guts and you know to go, to go on and um, and argue the point. And he was, you know, he was very. Uh, he's obviously an intelligent guy and and uh, passionate about his beliefs. And and good luck to him. You know, um, as much as I heartily disagree with his conclusions. Was what were your thoughts?
2: Um, I, th- I thought Hugh did a great job. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah it just amazes me listening to uh what was his name matthew
1: yes matthew um
2: yeah, it just amazes me listening to guys like that who, who are obviously very intelligent um and just the way that they have they're able to convince themselves um and delude themselves and others it's um but um you know good on him for um having the the nerve to um uh, go into battle so to speak with with you
1: and you mm. I, I was like just fully expecting the usual sort of faith argument that at some point during the whole shebang it comes down to faith but he was really um, providing a new angle where he wasn't relying on faith and he was relying on on a, a logical argument that um, uh, that that C follows from b follows from a and and mm. um and I just thought that a lot of the following uh was a stretch and that it just didn't follow and he would say things that just did not ne- necessarily follow, so I put in my comments on the uh facebook yeah. page and i i haven't been keeping track of the toings and froings of that debate yeah. too much, but um yeah, so it's really i guess. That's just a new angle that you've got now when you're dealing with theists, the the faith angle or this sort of uh, first cause, rational, ethical Mm. sort of line. And they seem to be quite different. Arriving at the same destination by two different... uh but Tracks. what do you
0: think, Trevor? What do you think they do in these so-called theological colleges and these seminaries, where they, you know, literally thousands and thousands of people have been through these things, debating that very issue? Mm-hmm. So they've, you know, they're well practiced, and and you know, Matthew, to his credit, has 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 looked into it, and I, I dare say, you know, he's he's a student of philosophy, so he would have looked at a lot of stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But, I mean. You know, this it's it's not exactly new. Right, is just what I wanted to say. People right. have been doing this for hundreds of years, really. Right. And,
2: uh, something that stood out for me um, during that um, interview was his reasoning for um, choosing to do the philosophy. It was something along the lines of, um, I, "I chose to do that so that I could justify my views, justify my faith." Right. He, he went into the study. With a very closed mind and, and, and a you know a goal for you know doing that study is um, and you know uh, he, he was sort of stating his bias before he even
1: started. <laughs> yeah, which is fair enough. I guess we all do. So we all have a bias. It, I mean, we? It, yeah, we all have a bias. It's it's then just can the argument be shown to be mm. dysfunctional and 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 error riddled? And I think it was so. That was the problem. But, yeah, you know, we all have our biases. Um,
0: At at the end of the argument, I was still left with the feeling that Matthew was still arguing from a faith perspective, you know, that at the end of the day um, he he was uh, deciding that that argument was better than the you know the materialist <laughs> argument.
1: There, there are a couple of times where, uh, for example, I said, "Well, the first cause." He 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 leapt to the conclusion that the first cause had to have intelligence and that it knew what it was doing. And when I said, "Well, it could have been random. It could have, mm. you know, been a random event," and he,
0: his, it's a big assumption.
1: His isn't reply it? was, "Well, I don't think so. But really, <laughs> that that is." I'm just going to take it on faith, the other yeah. possibility, rather than the one you've mentioned, um, without really identifying Agreed. why randomness was just impossible. So, mm. um, but yeah, he gave it a good um, good college try, I thought, and it was great to have somebody with the guts to sort of appear in this forum and
2: Absolutely. And, and do
1: it. So good on you, Matthew, I say. and Points for courage. Um, and it'd be nice down the track if we have some other debates to do with, um, you know, topics like secularism and, and is, mm. is Australia a secular country or should we be funding private schools or the like. So mm. I like the idea of a debate. So if there's anybody out there from the theist angle um, or Matthew, if you've got another topic you want to run past us, um, feel free, make contact. So so that was that. That was good. Um,
0: oh, I forgot to say that I, I, I did enjoy Hugh's argument. Sorry for not mentioning you, Hugh. But, yes, you uh, argued the case very well, I Good think. job.
1: Uh, hello in the chat room, Alison Anne, and Wheat Watcher. Make some comments if you're in the chat room so we know you're there. And, okay, um, it was also refreshing last week just to get away from coronavirus for a while, but we're going to have to go back to it because <laughs> it is all-consuming, isn't it? So, um, it sure is. <laughs> um, One of the things I was thinking about uh, just as a prelude into this is, is Paul you've accused me of whataboutism and Have I? and yes and was no, I think that was me oh okay or somebody <laughs> you know and it's tr- and uh, it's true i do i am guilty of whataboutism but I, I i make the point that sometimes it's a valid thing to say what about uh, in different circumstances so it's not necessarily bad and i was thinking about it because i do I do like to point out the errors in the American empire and when, you know, you might sort of say about China or whatever, I, I am inclined to say, well, you could say the same thing about America, you know. And But one of the reasons why I do it is, I think, is because I find it more interesting because when an authoritarian regime like China just – fucks people over, we, we just – it's plain obvious. Like, you just see it and it's in front of your nose and everybody can see it. Like, okay, it's a totalitarian regime that is screwing people over quite obviously and forcing them to do things that they don't want to do. Um, but when the USA does it, it's through more subtle means. It's through things of economic power and things that aren't so obvious and people aren't seeing it. And so that's why I find it just more interesting to say – well, that over there is obvious, of course they're doing that, but you notice maybe not so obviously over here here's another group doing something very similar, so that's part of why I do it
0: trump Trump must be your new best friend then Trevor, because he makes it really, really obvious when he's fucking people over doesn't he
1: he he, he does it's an interesting phenomenon, isn't it and yeah we'll have well let's let's talk about Trump and what's going on in America with the coronavirus so um uh, I, I, just before I finish, and, and the other reason I like to talk about America a lot is because, honestly, it's not every day that you see the greatest, most powerful civilization the world has ever seen crumble before your
0: very eyes. Like, <laughs> arguably... It, you think they're crumbling? I, d- I don't really think it's that bad. You think they're thriving? No, not thriving. But, I mean, nobody's thriving at the moment. But they're certainly not crumbling. I mean, they've, they've always had... Um, you know a variety of dissenting positions and and you know they don't hide that but in in a sense that's that's a sign of healthy democracy isn't it well you know just the coronavirus wouldn't
1: you see that as an example of normally you know the world's most powerful country uh, avoids problems through its power but the coronavirus is just decimating that country. It's an invisible and, enemy, Trevor. Yes. So, um, you know, had they had a proper social welfare system, a proper health system and proper leadership that mm. uh, organised medical supplies, mm. if they'd organised their power, they could have avoided a lot of deaths that, that they've had and the, and the more that are yeah. on the way. So... I I just think for example that's just an example of an all powerful civilization actually suffering more than some third world countries um are. so it
0: remains to be seen of course because we haven't yet seen what's going to happen in most of the developing countries uh true
1: but uh, on the fr- from what we've seen so far they won't be any worse than a, a lot of a lot of poor developing countries will probably come out of this better than America. And and really? when you compare America to its allies, uh, it's when you can see yeah. what's possible mm. with proper resources and proper um, organisation of those resources. But you're so- aware,
0: aren't you, that the, um, the Trump administration cut funding to the um, various um, government departments responsible for control of... Um, you know, diseases, pandemics and yeah. things like that. He's uh, cut funding year after year mm-hmm. and this is the result. So it's, you know, I think we can sheet home a fair bit of the uh, responsibility to the current administration rather rather than America as a, as a, as a whole. Well,
1: um, yes, but um, if you look at, for example, the protesters that are currently running around in America demanding that, that- That They go back to work. Yes, that the isolation cease and that they go back to work. And there's some Mm. pretty intense um, demonstrations occurring in in certain sections of America at the moment. And Mm. I don't know, I've seen different memes about it and people are quite sort of um, the usual, those crazy, stupid Americans don't understand, they've just got to stay indoors while this happens and how how dumb are they? But what that doesn't take into account is that um, if you've got no money in your bank account and there's virtually no social security system and you know the government's not going to help you out and you're about to run out of money next week, you need to go back to work. You've got to run the risk of working Uh and possibly getting the coronavirus because you know if you don't work, you're going to starve to death or the bank's going to foreclose on your mortgage or your landlord's going to kick you out and you're going to be on the street. And so really when you see these people, there's two sides to it. One is when they're saying they demand to work or, you know, I want my freedom to work, it's in many cases saying, I don't want to end up as a homeless person which is what's going to happen to me if I'm not allowed to work because there's no goddamn social security system here.
0: That's, so, that's so, not quite accurate, though. There is a social security system. It may not be it's, as it's, good as it could be, but there is a social security system yeah, in America. Well, it's,
1: it's not good enough. It's negligible. certainly isn't good enough. I so, of course, there's, there is a social security system, but it's not mm. good enough to do yes. what's needed.
0: And another thing, another comment I would make is, you know, what proportion of the American population is joining in these in these protests? Because I I would guess it's just a, a rabble, you know, it's a bunch of gun nuts and libertarians who think their freedom is being stolen. But, You know, I mean, it's not exactly widespread riots in every American city, is it? Uh... They get a lot of media attention, as, as you'd
1: expect. It's, it's Trump territory. It's the Midwest. It's the flyover states. That's where it's happening. Yeah.
0: But how many cities is it occurring in? I really I, have I, no idea. I can't add them up. But
1: um, do you see that happening in other countries yet?
0: Um, there was something happening on Bondi Beach a couple of weeks ago. Nothing like place. this. Police had to come, didn't they, and no- shoo the people off the beach? Yeah. <laughs> Nothing Nothing what about like those, but what don't, about those isn't that, guys Isn't the... that
1: telling, that this is the only country in the world where people have taken to the streets and demanded their right to work? Yeah. Uh, doesn't that say something?
0: Well, it says that they have a healthy, um, a healthy democracy where people feel they have a right to go out in the street and protest,
1: which... But, but, but it could also mean yeah. that they know they're going to be screwed if they can't go out and earn money and that they're going to be on the scrap heap, and they have to work, so... Right.
0: It That's could also applies mean everyone, doesn't no.
1: It? Well, it doesn't apply here in Australia. You'd, for example, um, many casual workers are going to have more money than they've ever had before. So. It and doesn't a lot of them apply are going to Have it. none. And a when lot you, of
0: them will have none, well, because the, the government hasn't included all casual workers. You have to have worked for a minimum of twelve months. Yeah, well, you'll true. still
1: be on a new start allowance then, which they upped up. I mean, you cannot compare the social security arrangements in Australia with America, and that's why we don't have people rioting on the streets demanding mm. uh, that they be able to return to work. And you're not seeing it in the UK either. Because they've got a hefty social security system that they've put in place, so it's a function mm-hmm. of of their society that they've ended up in this position. So, um, guys, uh, talk about yourselves. I'm just going to restart my. Oh no, it is working. I thought my miss, my um, my chat room wasn't working. So sorry. Okay. I'll, I'll keep going. So that, okay. so so when you see these people protesting and demanding mm. their right to work, I think. I think some of that is it's less embarrassing to say I demand the right to my freedom to work because I'm a hard-working American. That's less embarrassing than saying if I'm not allowed to work, I'm going to be on the street next week. Please let me work (laughs) because I'm going to be starving. I think uh, the other part of it could be you've got people who are demanding that other people be allowed to return to work because they want them to cut their hair and to deliver their pizza and to uh, and to work for them. So uh, other people who enjoy having other people work for them. So, was mm. if you, you you've heard the two arguments here? Uh, the, <laughs> do, do you think it's yeah. a function of uh, U.S. Um. society? Am I who's, who's are you want to be in the middle? Like, um, are you really, if you're really going to take Scott? By the way, Scott's not here because he's got a migraine, dear listeners. So that's uh, why Scott's not here. But any thoughts? Yeah. Was on on that.
2: Um, Well, one thing that I was thinking about was it it appears as though the UK is handling coronavirus a lot worse than the US even.
1: In what what way?
2: um, In terms of the data that's coming out, the the, the deaths per capita um, and the case fatality rate, um, they actually, despite the fact that they're very proud of their national health service.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: They appear to be doing much worse than the United States. So you can slander the United States for how bad they're handling this situation. But if you look at the, the data that's coming out, it appears as though the United Kingdom is, is doing worse and um, they have a much better social security system there and they have a much better National Health Service.
1: And- so the social security system will keep the, the POMs off the street and from protesting and demanding it's the right to return to yeah. work. So, yeah. um, um, but I'm surprised by that uh, because the UK has been, it seemed to me, in a better disciplined lockdown than America so why why are they doing worse? What, is that better, because, better lockdown. Yeah, I, I would, it seemed to me they were in a more stringent lockdown in the UK than in America. Yeah, well, so why would they be doing that's worse? That's
2: something that not uh, that most people are not aware of is that there's, there doesn't seem to be a direct correlation between the strictness of the lockdown and and how well they're they're performing in each country. I mean, Japan is doing the best out of any country, I believe. They have a very dense population, and if you look at their deaths per capita, they're about half of what Australia and even New Zealand are. Um, New Zealand were late to the game. They had their first death at the end of March. We had our first death at the start of March. Um, They had a very strict lockdown, um, stricter than ours, and yet their performance, if you measure it in terms of their death per capita, they're on about... they're on a par with Australia, so I think it's a I think it's a bit of a myth that there's a direct correlation between the strictness of the lockdown and the actual performance yeah. of deaths per capita.
0: Yeah, so in Germany you, too, it's a, it's a lot less strict as well, isn't it? I don't think they've, for example, closed public parks and things like that. You know,
2: well Sweden is an is a bit of an outlier in terms of its attitude and its. Um, it's still got cafes and bars and things like that. And I think they've limited
3: uh,
2: gatherings to 50 people or so. But they've, they've had a very more relaxed approach than, say, New Zealand. And, yeah, Sweden are performing a lot worse than the other Scandinavian countries. But if you look at, say, the performance of Finland to Denmark, Denmark's is about three and a half to four times worse than Finland, so it just it just doesn't make.
1: So, you, you know, can you put your finger on any particular? Uh, no, I can't. Thing. I can't. I, I,
2: I, yeah, and you know, um, I, I think there's too much emphasis being put on um, lockdown and, and the, the the strictness of lockdown. The research that I've done into COVID nineteen suggests that. These super spreading events are playing a big role in the number of deaths and the number of infections. Right. Have you, are you familiar with the SSE, the super spreading event?
1: No. Is that like a concert or a, or a fair yeah a football or something match? Like, right.
2: Or a, or a cruise ship. Right. Um, and a there church there
1: service. Um... A church service. Yeah, <laughs> yes. there was a church number service in France. Yep.
2: Um, that caused and. There was a medical conference somewhere in Canada,
1: right. and yes, you know
2: when you when you trace it back to one of these events. Yeah. Um, I think at one particular point in time, there was a province of Canada, and eighty eight percent of all infections in that one province right. was from this medical conference. You know, we've we've seen here in Australia with um, the Ruby Princess. Like the Ruby Princess has contributed what to about a third mm. of all deaths in New
1: South Wales.
3: Mm. You
2: know, we, we've performed really well, but without the Ruby Princess, we would we'd be superstars, right? <laughs> on on the world stage.
1: Okay, so if you get so, unlucky with a few of these super events, then that can do it. Yeah, just just there was a soccer match in
2: Bagamo. Mm-hmm. Bagamo
1: played. One of the teams from
2: Spain, um, from Valencia, I think it was, in Milan, Mm. and so you had all—you had something like two thirds of the entire population of Bergamo travel to Milan, Mm. stand in a uh, a soccer stadium, sing and chant and spit all over each other, (laughs) catch the train back to Bergamo, and um, you know we saw what happened in Bergamo.
1: Just uh... so if
2: you can limit those super-spreading events, I think that has a far greater impact on your, your performance than um, the, the strictness of your,
0: your lockdown. Yeah. Is that in Italy, that place, Warren? Is yeah. Bergamo yeah, is the capital of... Um, of one of the provinces. Yeah, it's <clears throat> the,
2: the worst-hit province up in the north there.
0: I believe that in the case of Italy as well, they have a lot of uh, Chinese... Not only Chinese tourists, but Chinese um, workers working in Chinese enterprises in Italy. And so, that uh, because the Chinese government didn't actually, you know, uh, either realize or tell everybody that there was something very bad going on in in Wuhan, uh, people from Wuhan and and surrounding areas were apparently still traveling to Italy and and other destinations, of course. way longer than they should have been. And Italy really uh, copped a lot of it because of the number of Chinese people travelling to Italy from there.
1: Mm. In the chat room, Wheat Watcher says there was a pork abattoir in North Dakota which had 50% of the cases in the state for a while and people working and living in close proximity. So they had a pork mm. abattoir. And just um, back to Canada. There was also
2: a curling tournament somewhere mm. in Canada. Mm. And if you think about curling You've got two guys, three guys that are standing face to face basically it's just
1: it's a mm. yeah. it's a spitstorm <laughs> well, um, just back to Canada, uh, a friend of right wing Tony's was at a conference in Canada uh, a mining conference and he um, came back went on a holiday in Tasmania on a boat for ten days and um Unbeknownst to him that coronavirus and infected about eight people on the vote. And the, until the recent episode in the hospital in northern Tasmania, he was pretty much single handedly responsible for the coronavirus in Tasmania. Oh, yeah. So yeah, I like your theory there was that you can get yeah, unlucky there's with There's not these,
2: enough been made yeah. in the commercial media about these mm. super spreading events. And mm. if we can limit the super spreading events, that's gonna have a dramatic impact on mm. um Mm. On, on uh, the, the deaths, because
1: yes. of this. the other thing, of course, just getting, harking back to America again, is that there's a significant number of people in in claiming their right to work are just saying that the whole thing's a hoax and that there's no real coronavirus and um, there's a significant number of a significant number a of people hoax? who are saying it's all a beat up and. Well, there's, there's a, a, is
2: an amazing place, isn't
1: it? Yeah. and and there's and there's also a number of people. Well. You know, we're talking about will there be a vaccine down the track. Did you hear what Novak Djokovic had to say? About no. It? So Novak Djokovic, world number one tennis player, said... You believe- be vegan. He said, I don't believe in vaccines. And no. if, if it becomes the case that you need a vaccine to travel the world to play tennis, that could be the end of my career. I'm not sure. I'll have to think
0: about it. Yes, but you know about, uh, you know he also believes the Sky Fairy is a real person. He's a very religious man.
1: Correct. Yes. The two go hand in hand, you, don't they? Yeah.
2: You
0: can't
1: I'm, be serious. Yeah, no, it's true. So, <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, so uh, you know, a small confession, dear listener. Um, in the days when I used to have some spare time to read fiction, one of my um, tastes went to um, Apocalypse um, novels, with zombies in particular. And wow. uh, the interesting thing was that in those zombies, uh, there was never a large contingent of people who refused to believe that the zombie ap- apocalypse was happening, like everybody believed it. So mm-hmm. when they start writing apocalypse, uh, zombie apocalypse novels in future, they'll have to account for uh, a significant proportion of the population who just refuses to believe that there even is an apocalypse. I guess they won't last long. So okay, um, I'm putting
0: my hand up. I don't believe zombies r- are real.
1: Yeah, neither yeah. do I. So um, <laughs> okay. Um, so I, uh, of course, Donald Trump is uh, in front of the cameras every day, uh, giving his um, uh, press conferences and whatever. Have you guys watched any of them at all? If yeah, mm-hmm. subject- oh, no, I can't stomach it. Right, no. it's
0: Trump it, is more on. It,
1: yeah, it. Well, watch one because. Um, I don't want to say it's brilliant. It's not. He's, he's just doing what comes naturally to him because he is a natural mm. bullshitter who is used to just talking shit and getting away with it. So right. I don't want to give the sense that he's a, a great strategist about this. It's the only thing he can do. But
0: He's not even a great orator, but, but you're right. But, he's, a, he's a professional but,
1: bullshit artist. But, and his ability in these press conferences to just lie and to say we're doing a great job. We're doing much better than anybody else in the world. Our death numbers are this, you know, he'll just say figures that are completely wrong. Mm. And he will say, you know, we were onto this before anybody else and I was doing this before anybody else. And, um, and, and you'll, you're listening to it. And if you didn't know better, you'd go, actually, yeah, it sounds like he has been doing a good job. Like I can understand how people who's only died is Fox Media watching this would go, yeah. the President's doing a great job. Because yeah. if you don't fact-check what he says and just take it as, as being the case, or if the only mm. fact-checking you hear is from an organisation that you're convinced is corrupt uh, and biased, mm. he uh, he gives a spiel where, you know, he he's taking questions from reporters and it'll be from a group that um, uh, doesn't... You know, it'll be a news organisation who's anti-Trump, and he'll say, "Where are you from?" Oh, fake news. Give me your question anyway, and like he, he's up for it as a fighter, a sparer would. Like he, mm. other politicians might shy he's away, a, but he, a, he's on the attack, and he'll take him mm. on and say, "I've Get got a theory, me. Trevor." Yeah, 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 yep. Yeah. So
2: the majority of people are not listening to the words that he's saying. The majority of people are looking at him. And how confident he is in his body language they're listening to his tone but they're just not listening to you're listening to the words that are coming out of his mouth and you're analyzing the words but i you're part of the minority there people people don't listen people aren't listening to the words that trump saying they're, they're they're looking at how he's saying it and that's way more important yep. nowadays than, than what he's saying
1: yep you're right. The tone is all important. The belligerent tone, confidence. Yep, absolutely.
2: Yep. Mm. Body language yep. and yeah, he looks presidential. And know. he
0: and he doesn't talk like what some of his core followers would see as aloof intellectuals. You know, he's yes, yes exactly. They relate to him because he he's yeah. not an he's not an orator. He's a pretty you know his his command of the English language is pretty ordinary, frankly. Yep. But you know, so probably so is the command of English for a lot of his core followers, and they they relate to that. And as Warren says, they're not they're not trying to fact check him; they're just looking at his, uh, you know, his tone, his body language. They're
1: just getting the vibe. And exactly, yes, the president's are able to Warren. to give a strong response that sounds right. And yeah, yeah. I agree. So, but what it is that he's doing is um, in these conferences is a form of gaslighting. And, and, dear listener, you might have heard the term gaslighting uh, in the media um, of late. So um, was, have you been hearing the term gaslighting? Are you familiar I've, with it? I've been
2: accused of it. Oh, oh. Have, have you? <laughs> oh <dear. laughs> really? Oh, we won't go into detail
1: there. <laughs> oh, okay. And, and, and you are aware of the origins of gaslighting? Yeah, yeah, okay. i familiar with it. Just, just for yeah. those who don't know, um, it's a form of psychological manipulation in which um, in which a person or a group covertly sows seeds of doubt in a targeted individual, making them question their own memory, perception or judgment. Um, so it comes from a, a movie, uh, the stage play Gaslight, and in the story, the husband attempts to convince his wife and others that she is insane by manipulating small elements of their environment and insisting she is mistaken, uh, remembering things incorrectly or delusional when she points out these changes. And the play's title, which I didn't know before reading this, was the title alludes to how the abusive husband slowly dims the gaslights in their home while pretending nothing has changed in an effort to make his wife doubt her own perceptions. So as I watch Donald Trump uh, on display in these things, I think... I'm being subjected to gaslighting here. He's just <laughs> telling me things. And I'm going, did I, did, have I got that right? just Maybe he did. Was he really first to say that? Like, he's mm. so convincing. Fortunately, um, there's enough hard evidence that you can just go to, of course, and overcome the gaslighting. So I've got a link to what I call a calendar of shame, which is basically um, one of the anti-Trump organisations did it, which little snippets of things that Trump said at different times and basically all through February and most of March, uh, he was saying, it's not a problem. It's under control. We're going to be fine. It'll probably go away. And then within a day or two goes, it's a pandemic. I told you so. And you know, <laughs> we've been onto this before anybody it's, it's, it's crept up on us. So, um, so yeah, so that's gaslighting and that's effectively what he's doing to us. Um, uh, let me just see. Um, so what Trump is doing, which is... I think, I think the guy could win this
0: goddamn election that's coming up. I,
1: I, I think he's a certainty. You think he is?
0: Yeah. Yeah. At the very least, he should win an Academy Award. Well,
1: so what he's doing is he's um, blaming other people. So he's blaming China, he's blaming the World Health Organisation, and he's blaming uh democratic governors of the states and saying that they're not doing the right job as state governors, that, hey, he's just the fed- president of the federal government and a lot of this was the responsibility of the states. So, um, uh, so just dealing with that one, first of all, uh, there's a huge amount of evidence where basically um, hospitals are trying to buy medical safety equipment, PPE, personal protective equipment. And not only have they got to uh, compete against other states for purchasing, so the prices of these things are skyrocketing, but they're also having to compete with the federal government. And the feds are coming in and literally taking stuff off loading bays and off aeroplanes and off ships that states have agreed to buy, and the feds just come in saying, nope, we're taking that. And there's this incredible story by this guy, Andrew Artenstein, from Bay State Health, Springfield, Massachusetts, describing how they've got to um, basically search the world for PPE and and when they get a lead, they've got to be extremely secretive and um, he tells a story of... of being sent a sample and it all looked good and then they went to meet these trucks out in the middle of nowhere and um, I'll just read some excerpts of it here. He said, I arrived by car to make the final call on whether to execute the deal. Two semi-trailer trucks cleverly marked as food service vehicles met us at the warehouse. When fully loaded, the trucks would take two distinct routes back to Massachusetts to minimise the chances that their contents would be detained or redirected. This is Isn't what, terrible? This is what they've reduced to, to having to hide yeah. their PPE in such circumstances. And um, Sounds like it's
0: taken from a gangster movie or it, something, it, doesn't it?
1: It does. It, well, Trevor, Trevor, I've
2: yeah. heard you speak in the past about having a common enemy and that mm. uniting mm. us.
1: Um,
2: the U- United States has got a common enemy at the moment. Yeah, he's And there. they're divided.
1: Uh, uh, well...
2: It's each state for themselves, isn't it?
1: That's and, and to
2: a certain extent, Australia has done the same. We've closed our borders, you know, and, you know, each state is tackling this. And, you know, with a common enemy, you know, one of the, one of the ways that you win a war is to divide and conquer, right? Mm. And if, if this virus is the enemy... They haven't divided us. We've divided ourselves.
1: But I wouldn't you know. <laughs> say that the Australian states have divided. I, I think, sure... Not to the extent that the United the, states, the, the, the states are. They're doing isolation on a state boundary as a matter of convenience, of drawing a line somewhere to stop movement. Um, mm. I don't... I see that as being a cooperative effort. I think. I think you'd have to say that this sort of group of uh, the federal government and the, and the state premiers getting together regularly, to me, Australia has actually come together yeah. um, as a cooperative effort, even though they've decided to create silos on a state-based sort of boundary system. But I don't think Australia has been divided by it. But, uh, look, America is already a divided society. So it's already mm. the haves, the have-nots, the the, the flyover... Rust Belt states versus the liberal elites on in California and and in New York. It's already divided, and this is just highlighting the divisions. I think mm. so. I mm. uh, would be how I'd say that. Um, What's happening with Trump's popularity? I haven't been keeping going through, up, sky high. Going really it? well, yeah, yeah. His approval's fantastic. People Your mate get- Scotty from marketing is he's, <laughs> um, he's making the most of this situation. As well. And same, isn't, as, isn't yes. it
0: interesting? They yes. they both seem to be benefiting yes. from this situation.
1: Yes, indeed. So, um, so it and is.
0: Regardless of their of their tack, I mean, you couldn't say that Scotty from marketing is taking the same uh, strategy as Trump, and yet they're both benefiting from. Mm. Yep. yep. Chat rooms going off. Hey Murray, Murray wrote in the chat room said,
1: "Does Trev even read these comments?" Murray, give, give me a break here. Like, I'm trying to conduct a conversation. Keep half an eye on what you guys are saying. If I can pick out something that's good, I'll I'll put it in. But. Hey, it's not easy, you know. You do it. If you know, come on, <laughs> cut me some slack. Conversation
2: is so good, Murray. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the problem.
1: So, uh, so Trump uh, is blaming the states, and that's unfair because he's actually stealing stuff off them, and they're having to hide it in disguise it in food trucks. Plus, they actually a lot of the states aren't allowed to borrow money and create a deficit, so they can't actually fund purchasing stuff. Yes, according to certain laws. Um, certain states are unable. So, in many cases, states are legally barred from deficit spending, which means in times of crisis, especially those producing huge budget shortfalls through collapsing tax revenue, they are functionally unable to respond at all. So, yeah. I Um, read
0: somewhere that after the, you know, during the 1919-1920 influenza pandemic... Right. ..that was the prevailing wisdom in uh, countries like Australia as well. I think they didn't want to... Um, borrow money and and go into debt to to address the situation.
1: Yeah, well, these states cannot. They're legally unable to. They've passed laws previously under conservative governments that say under no circumstances can you run a deficit. So...
2: I like how you avoided calling it the Spanish flu there, oh, um, right. 12th man. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> Very PC.
0: <laughs> okay, so Trump's... Not, not being PC, as you know, I just, um, you know, for want of a better term, I just referred to the time when it happened because we all know Spanish flu was probably... It was probably misnamed anyway. Yeah. yeah.
1: Uh, so, okay, Trump's identified the states, who he's going to blame. Oh. Uh, he's also identified the World Health Organisation. So, gentlemen, thoughts on, on he's? I think he's declared he's going to pull funding from the World Health Organisation and there's some sympathy for that out there from even non-Trump supporters. Thoughts on the World Health Organisation?
0: He hasn't actually pulled the funding. He's talking about pulling the funding is my understanding. So, I mean, he often does this, doesn't he? He often says, well, we're going to quit, we're going to walk away and he uses it as a way of, um, you know, bluffing people into doing what he wants them to do, I think, doesn't
1: it? Well, whether he, whether he does it or not, do you think it's a good idea?
0: I don't think it's a good idea, but I do think the World Health Organisation has a lot of hard questions to answer. Mm. Because they, we've,
1: we've previously, I think, on this podcast, questioned the United Nations and whether mm. that was an organisation worth persevering with. Remember that?
0: Yes. Well, we've seen some examples in recent times of of why we would have um, grave doubts about the United Nations. I mean, China is now on the Human Rights Council and, you know, there, there are others like Saudi Arabia and, uh, and apparently the World Health Organisation leader uh, has very close links with the government in Beijing and um, people are questioning his what, judgment. What's his links? His links are, um, what were his links? <laughs> oh, that's right. He, oh, I forget. He nominated, um, who did he, he nominate?
1: He said they were doing a good job, but, but yes. in terms of financial or political links, I'm not aware of any.
0: Oh, he's praised them. No, I'm not he, aware of financial links, although uh, he's from Ethiopia. Um, so so he, he said good
1: things about them. But he said a lot of good things he, but I don't about think he's actually linked to them in any
0: way. Personal way? No. Uh, look, I just can't recall the details now, but I have read somewhere that he seems to be very, very cosy with Xi Jinping, or at least Xi Jinping uh, gets a lot of praise from him, deserved or not. Um, okay. okay. So here's the, here's the issues I see. So
1: United Nations, um, just to justify our previous position, <laughs> mm-hmm. to some extent... I see it different, the United Nations is different to the hue because with the United Nations, ultimately uh, these countries are going to want to impose their power on other countries and their systems whenever they can. And there's inherent division in in that power play where basically they want to impose their system or their political will on other countries. Um when it comes to the World Health Organisation, I think ultimately everyone can agree that they want pandemics addressed quickly and they want to know about them and they want to know, share information. It's a, it's a forum a form where people are more likely to want to agree and cooperate and at the end of the day have an agreed objective of controlling all pandemics where possible, whereas in the United Nations they don't have that same... Um, single objective that they can all agree on. So, um, so that's sort of why I'm I'm more favourable of the WHO than of the World Health Organization than the United Nations. But anyway, so I was reading a couple of contrasting things about World Health Organization. So from Crikey, uh, who said that there is a few things. So this is from Crikey, left wing um, outlet, basically calling into question. The World Health Organization's and pointing out that, yes, uh, World Health Organization appointed Robert Mugabe to be its goodwill ambassador. Can you believe it? In October yes. two thousand and seventeen. So, um, so this current uh, director general, I'll just call him Tedros because his last name's hard to pronounce. Um, mm. So he made an early blunder when he announced Robert Mugabe as a goodwill ambassador. Uh, that was is that then, serious? Yes, that is deadly serious.
0: Yes. He withdrew it, I think, under pressure, didn't he? Yes, he was
1: pressured and he went, oh, okay. So he's reforced to A goodwill to ambassador. Yes. yes. He, was, he forced... was the last person yes.
0: you
1: thought
0: he would think of. You'd, you'd think. The other thing, Trevor, was the promotion of traditional Chinese medicine. Yes, he has promoted traditional
1: Chinese medicine, indeed, mm. and said good things about that. Um, he also endorsed dubious Chinese claims on the COVID-19, so... Um, he's on January 14th said that early investigations showed the Chinese authorities had found no clear evidence of human to human transmission, but three days beforehand, that whistleblower had been confirmed that his lungs were infected with the new virus. So, um, also with Taiwan, uh, the Mm. World Health Organization doesn't recognize Taiwan and, um, and it's basically endorsed the so-called wet markets. And wet markets is a poor name for it. They should really be called wildlife markets because a yeah. wet market is anything. Well, any- they're
0: not, but they're not only about wildlife. They're they're about fresh produce. And I, I, would, I dare say there are a lot of wet markets that don't have any uh, wild animals in them.
1: Correct. So when they keep saying we need to ban wet markets, then... Essentially, all through the developed world, developing world, there's, there's markets with live chickens yeah. and pigs and mm-hmm. beasts. I mean, we export live animals, mm-hmm. presumably, that get sold in wet markets. So, presumably. they really should be saying wildlife wet markets yes. because that's yeah. where it seems the transmission uh, of these viruses jumps from animals to humans
0: through wildlife
1: that- rather than through domesticated species. But so, when you
0: say wildlife, wildlife are wild animals. Yes, not wild, not wild cattle animals. Cattle exported from Australia. Not domestic yeah, animal yeah,
1: animals. Yeah, wild animals as opposed to domestic. Yeah. So um, seems to be the, the problem.
2: The World Health Organisation criticised um, the Australian federal government too for banning um, travel to China, didn't they, for, uh, for accepting um, uh, flights. We, we, we banned travel incoming Flights mm, from, from China, China yeah. in late February. And the World Health Organisation actually um, publicly criticised the Australian government for that.
1: Oh, really? Can't remember that one. But anyway, mm. that was from uh, Crikey, which was quite damning of a number of things about the World Health Organisation. Mm. But then uh, from The Guardian came a different um, perspective, which I found interesting, which um, – oh, and, and what have you got to bear in mind, some sympathy for uh, Tedros – is you're having to cajole people that you have no power over. You want them to tell you stuff. You want them to cooperate. You can't force them to do anything. If you're wanting to get information from the Chinese government or you're wanting them to allow a sharing of information or you're wanting to deal with them, telling them that they're arseholes who have just nearly killed the world isn't going to get you anywhere in terms of cooperation and getting people on the ground, getting information from them. Unfortunately, in that situation where you've got no power, there's a certain amount of sucking up that you might have to do in order to try and get some uncooperative people to do things for you. And if you're not being um, praising of them, they might simply uh, pull up stumps and and not allow you any sort of access to information or whatever. Like, there's there's a... that, I have some sympathy for that, that you have to do some bullshit diplomacy to keep yeah. them in the, if
2: in the tent. if you a lot of responsibility with yeah. no authority. Yes. In so that case, it those countries...
1: It's very to do your job.
0: Those countries shouldn't be members. They shouldn't be participating if they're not willing to... But, but that gets you nowhere.
1: Sorry, that doesn't get you anywhere if you simply say, right, China, you're bad boys, and we're not letting you into this organisation anymore. Off you go. And Well, mm. what happens next time there's one? Like... Does that
0: get you anywhere? No. Of course, you're right. But-
2: Something I learned about the World Health Organisation recently is that um, last financial year, I think it was, they spent $192 million on travel. And during the um, same period, mm-hmm. they spent half that amount on fighting Ebola. Right.
0: Yep. Yeah, <laughs> right. travel is expensive. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, from
1: The Guardian, I found this one interesting. When a pandemic strikes, the world's leading experts convene, physically or virtually, in a Mm high-tech chamber in the basement of the Geneva headquarters of the World Health Organisation. It's called the Strategic Health Operations Centre, or SHOC, SHOC, an approximately urgent acronym for a place where life and death decisions are taken. Uh, the whole thing looks like something that Hollywood would set up, imagining a pandemic, a uh, WHO official said, quote, you sit there and you hear these experts from all over the world and they're really leading people. Uh, the best expertise available to get the best advice possible. It's, it's very impressive uh, in the sense that, hey, this is how it's supposed to work. That sounds good. Mm-hmm. On the 22nd of January, it was in this setting that the WHO emergency committee convened to make a pivotal decision on whether to advise the organisation to declare a public health emergency of international concern, a formal red alert to the world. So that meeting, 22nd of January. The WHO had been sharing information with member states constantly since the first cluster of pneumonia cases was first identified. Um, but declaring a, um, a public health emergency still had a huge symbolic importance the Director-General, Tedros Adhanom Gabre. No, I'm not going to even do it. He sat in the... shock. yourself, Trip. Yeah, I will. He sat in the shock with his top advisers watching as a succession of speakers gave their views on the screens in front of them. First, there were reports from China and then Japan and Thailand where cases had been recently confirmed. Then it was the turn of the 15 members and six advisers on the emergency committee drawn from around the world. The debate was highly technical, but it had one critical issue at its heart. It was known by then that the virus had spread from person to person, but the question was how easily. The emergency committee was split down the middle on the question, so Tedros told it to convene again the next day in the hope new data might create a census.
2: Hmm.
1: So Tedros's only obligation under law is to convene a committee, but not to follow it, but he feels that politically... He needs to get a unanimous decision before he acts, or at least an overwhelming majority. The second day's meeting, however, changed nobody's mind. Um, Ted Ross had the committee adjourned, pending further study, um, and it was declared a week later on the 30th of January after clear evidence of Mm. community spread. Now, here's the uh, interesting part of all that is... um, Let me just find it here. Um, So China argued against declaring an emergency... But could not have carried the argument alone. The other emergency members and advisers were experts from the US, Thailand, Russia, France, South Korea, Canada, Japan, Netherlands, Australia, Senegal, Singapore, Saudi Arabia, Sweden and New Zealand. Their advice is confidential, but for the vote to have been split, several Western or Western-aligned representatives must have voted with
0: Beijing. Mm, bizarre. I not that
1: really interesting.
0: And, and it at this a very long time in a pandemic. And, you know, imagine how many people died needlessly because of that one week delay. Yeah, but,
1: you know, so I've got some sympathy for the WHO where they've got the experts from largely Western countries who were split down the middle, no consensus, tries mm. again the next day, still no consensus. A week later, enough information comes out that they get a majority. Okay, we're declaring it. But... It'd be interesting to know what countries voted on that decision at the time. I'd like to know what the Australian representative was saying at that. Mm-hmm. So, um, but surely,
2: yeah. if there's not a consensus, it's up to
1: Tedros as the leader to say, "Well, here's what we're going to do." And
2: that's—I would just put that down to poor leadership. Well, when you've, you've got half the experts, to saying, make a decision.
1: but when you've got half the experts saying that there is no mm-hmm. need to call a pandemic. Mm. and half are saying there is, Mm. you'd be saying, well, come on, guys, you're the expert. Surely you should be able to give me some majority decision. Well, if there's
2: one thing that this pandemic has taught me is that experts, (laughs) expert opinion is very dubious.
1: Mm.
0: Well, it's highly varied as well in some cases, isn't it? Yeah. Do you think the fact that he is not himself a trained medical doctor uh, makes any difference in this situation? If he had been a doctor, do you think he could have perhaps argued more persuasively one way or another with the uh, the committee and shown a bit more leadership? Perhaps. I don't know. It's yeah, I don't good. think it was
2: his lack of technical expertise. I think it was his lack mm. of leadership.
0: Yeah. Okay. You know, sometimes you just got to make a tough. You're a tough crowd. And, yeah. Well, he's got well, a well, well, the, the decision was to do you know, nothing. Often
2: the but if this and that's often the worst decision. But yeah, sometimes look, it's he, the
0: best. He chose to take the job, so, you know, he has to be willing to accept that sort of responsibility to take leadership when needed. Mm-hmm. And he appears to have been lacking in that department. Mm. It's
2: an interesting story.
1: Mm.
0: Right. Um, so anyway, uh,
1: there's a bit of a to me, this seems like um, a heating up of a Cold War. Mixed metaphor, I know. Mm. But there's a lot of anti-China sentiment out there. So mm. um, so much so that the Wagga City Council declared that its sister city arrangement with a small Chinese city is defunct. Um, oh, that'll hurt them. Yeah, with Kunming... Um,
0: Kunming is not a small city. It's a fairly substantial right. city. But in the scheme of Chinese cities, is it a big one or a small yeah. one? Uh, it's, it's pretty – I don't know how many people, but it's a big city in terms of southwestern China, which, mm, okay. which is where it's located. But, know, but it's, it's, bigger than, it's bigger than, than Wagga. That, it's a lot bigger than Wagga, yes. Yeah. But what do you think about that? Do you think that was really just uh,
1: I, 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 a waste sad. of time? sad and despicable at the same time. Why despicable? Because the people of, how do you pronounce it? Kunming? 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 K-U-N-M-I-N-G. Yeah, Kunming. Like, the reason for it was that the city was not in a true friendship because it was an extension of a totalitarian regime that lied to the world about the severity of the COVID-19 outbreak.
0: Yeah, so he's the logger
1: the logger councillor is blaming the people of Kunming for the yeah. covid-19 yeah. outbreak. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, you you don't yeah. if you want peace and harmony in the world, you get it by talking and 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 dialogue. You don't get it yeah. by cutting people off. Mm-hmm. Crazy decision. throwing your toys out of the cot. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I
0: I think it was probably counterproductive as well. Right. Because the, the ordinary people of China will take that as a personal slight on, you know, on them rather than on the leadership in Beijing.
1: Anne in the chat room says that um, Ted Ross is a microbiologist.
0: Is that right, Ann? So there you go, he's got some science. Well he has a PhD in community health. Well, it's a half decent qualification well, for a, no, well, he's not a he's not a doctor, but he has a qualification in community health. Right. Okay. And he likes to be referred to as doctor, apparently. Right. Okay. <laughs> Sounds better. Sounds- uh,
1: um, remember we were talking about cruise ships previously and how basically Australia has just said the cruise ship's on your way and we don't give a stuff about you or the people on you, and I felt that we were shirking our responsibility because yeah. if my daughter was trapped on a cruise ship on the other side of the world, I would hope a Western country would do the right thing, get people off and enable them to get back home. So I was a bit
0: shocked too at, at the way the government was talking to the cruise ships because, you know, normally they'd be welcoming them and all the um, visitors and the money they bring with them and, you know, Mm-hmm. It's, it's similar to the way the Morrison government has basically said to young backpackers and foreign students, uh, look, you know, you know, we've got a bit of an issue here. you better go home. I mean... Because yep. we
1: can't afford to pay you the same money we're paying everybody else. But meanwhile, <laughs> but, we're just finding know, billions of dollars.
0: You, you guys are probably aware, but uh, ec- our selling education to foreign students is about the fourth major money earner for Australia, export mm. money owner. It's really, really big, and the Morrison government has effectively said to them, oh, we've got a bit of an issue here, piss off home, and uh, we'll let you come back when we're ready, you know? Right. I mean, really, he is wasting a golden opportunity to, you know, demonstrate to the world that we are a welcoming, hospitable um, and supportive country, you know? Well... For, for- well, well, well- it does
1: come back to either bite or help you later on. So apparently in the 70s, Australia took on a lot of immigrants from Uruguay mm. um, when they were having problems there.
0: And I mean, so yeah.
1: when the um, the ship, the Greg Mortimer, operated by the Australian-based Aurora Expeditions, um, was trapped in off the coast of South America trying to get back, other countries were doing what Australia does and said, fuck mm-hmm. off, like, we're not helping you at all. So Chile and others said, you're not staying here. And apparently Uruguay put their hand up and said, we'll take you. And basically let them dock, organise special buses to take them straight from um, the dock onto planes that had been organised by the Australian government. And um, and consequently, we got a lot of Australians returned to this country thanks to the goodwill of the people of Uruguay. So, and part of that was a sentiment from what Australia had done back in the 70s, a uh, feeling of um, of repaying yeah. a debt. So, mm. um, there it's you true, go. It's <laughs> true these, these people that are on the cruise ship, mm.
2: they're... They're fit and healthy, though. Like the the if there were sick people on there, I'm sure we would go to their assistance, right?
1: On the cruise ships that are that are uh, off the coast. Well, the the staff, a lot of them are sick, and they'd have to be. So we're just not letting them off. Like they got a, a crew of a thousand people on these ships, mm. and we're mm. saying, "Too bad, you're not getting off." You. Dirty Filipinos. Yeah. I, um, would,
2: dirty I would Filipinos. Um, I would. extend yeah. support, you know, medical support mm. if there wasn't sufficient medical support on the ship. But, I mean, I, I don't see the sense of bringing healthy people to shore and putting them, you know, taking them off a floating hotel and putting them on a stationary hotel. I mean, they can isolate just as well. On a cruise ship is what they can.
0: I think most on a
2: land based hotel.
1: But, but for you, you were stuck on a ship over on the mm. other side of the world and the Western countries weren't letting the ship dock because there'd been cases mm. of coronavirus and you were just stuck there and couldn't get off, even though you were willing to pay whatever to get off and get home and you were just gonna have to stay on that boat for potentially a year until it eventually finds its way back to Australia, if ever, you'd be saying, hang these, on a minute.
2: These people that work on these cruise ships, yeah. they pretty much live on them all year. Well, they have they?
1: contracts for six months or 12 months. Yeah. Yeah. So they have yeah six or 12-month so contracts. Being,
2: being trapped, as you say, on a, on a cruise ship is, is not... Um,
1: but they can't get... They are trapped. They can't, they can't get off. Those people on, um, what is it, the Ruby Princess or whatever it is, cannot... Cannot but say, oh, I'm ready to get off. Let me off and i am fly home.
0: Like, it's now docked in Port Kembler in New South Wales yeah. and uh, they are taking people off who are sick and needing medical assistance though. Right. Because yeah. they took some off today, I saw. Did they? News.
1: Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, uh, okay. Um, I'm going to thank the patrons before I forget. So, um, dear listener, if you're... Um, if you're new to this podcast, we have patrons who go onto our website, ironfistvelvertglove.com.au, and they um, contribute some as little as – well, uh, all we ask is a dollar a show. So um, we'll start at the top, and our very first um, patron was Sean. Good on you, Sean. Uh, he's still with us uh, to this mm-hmm. day. So thank you, Sean, Janelle, Craig, uh, John Townsend, Landon Hardbottom, Wayno. Ayame, Alison, Steve, Shinners, Tony Wall, Jimmy Spud, Kane Birch, Dr- Bronwyn Ben, Matt J, Robert Whitby, Rod Harris, Palais, Maddock Dominic Damassey, Liam McMahon, Dave Ryland, Daniel Curtin, Harry Watson, Peter Gillespie, Captain Doomsday, Wheat Watcher, who's in the chat room. Good on you, Wheat Watcher. Andy Dowling, Murray Waper, who's also in the chat room. Melinda, Adam Priest, Professor Doctor Dentist, Will, Glenn Bell, Craig S, Matthew, Alexander Allen, Paul Waper, Tom Doolan, Taro, Camille, Kim Brown, uh, Donnie Darko, Clinton Riggs, Gavin S, Straight Straits 05, Tony Eels, yet another Pinker fan. By the way, just speaking of Pinkers, um, <laughs> Warren, I picked up that goddamn Pinker book, uh, The Battle Angels of Our Being, I think was the one I've got here. And it, as I'm reading it, I was going, is this book all about just the decrease of violence in the world? was pretty much... Better Angels of Our Nature. Yes. It yeah, was right. about the reduced amount of, of violence in the world. Yeah. And I was like, really? I surely thought this book is more than just that. I thought, <laughs> like, like, aren't you going to talk about other things? So I was like, I don't really want to read a thousand pages. No, that's his
2: next book. His next book goes into that. I got the you, wrong you'd one. You'd probably prefer his Be- next because book. Because I'll, um,
1: I'll agree with him that there is less violence in the world, but, you know... When, you've, when you're controlling what somebody, how much they eat, you don't have to be violent with them because you've, you've got them by the balls anyway, so...
0: But people uh, are better fed as well, Trevor. Yeah. They're not, they're not just less violent. Well, yeah, well, but if the books... As I was, yeah, flicking really, through the chap-
1: as I was reading through the chapters, or the headings and skimming through it, I was like, it seems to me the entire book is about that there's less violence in the world and I thought, well... That doesn't particularly interest me. I'm not going to commit uh, 20 hours to this book on that topic. So I'll get one of his other ones then and then I'll...
2: Yeah, it's uh, the the next one and the name escapes me at the moment. Okay. It was based on the popularity of that that he expanded that sort of theme onto a whole host of topics.
1: Right. Okay. So yet another Pinker fan, uh, Graham Hannigan, Mark Clark, Citizen Six, David Copley, Lloyd Berg, the 12th Man fan... Uh, Andrew Jackson, Yamian Blue, Shane Ingram, Craig Ball, and Kobe have all joined since the coronavirus. Good on you guys! Um, and also recently, oh, people who contribute outside of Patreon who do it directly through um, PayPal is Dean Ken Was. Thanks, Was. The beneficiary, Mr. Anderson, Corinne, Matt Mann, Beverly, and Damien from Redline Digital, Wayne Seaman, Jared Terry, and a new patron, Obrad Pusgarica. So thank you to the people who contribute and help cover some expenses so we can have all mm-hmm. these high-tech gizmos and do what we're doing. So, That's a long list now. That's, that is. seems to have grown Yeah, it is getting there. So, um, oh, yeah, not many people have dropped off in recent times, so that's good.
2: It's called yeah. Enlightenment Now.
1: Okay, I'll go for that one. Oh, yeah, yeah,
2: that's yeah. a
0: good one. Yeah. Okay. Right. Can I... Can I mention yeah. something just yeah, um, before we finish up? No, we've um, got, uh, we're not finishing up. We've got we've barely started, Paul. Oh, really? Probably. Oh, good. Because I thought you another beer, Paul. Yeah. Get, uh, I'm good, thanks, yeah. Um We were talking about the effects of the coronavirus and the lockdown and things. And have you seen? Did you see in yesterday's news? I think it was the Queensland Police Force used a helicopter to z- to zone in on three young guys having a quiet drink on the rooftop of a building and they were violating, you know, the proximity rules and everything else and apparently they'd been you know, using some illegal drugs as well. But, I mean, basically they were busted for, you know, for, for trespassing on the roof of this building where they shouldn't have been and violating the uh, proximity rules and the cops used a damn helicopter <laughs> to catch Three young Was there
2: a police dog involved in that as well, Paul? Poss- yeah, there a, was a I dog, a dog involved. involved.
0: That's right. Can you imagine the cost of running a <laughs> helicopter to catch three guys having a quiet drink and maybe, you know, a, a, a joint or something on a rooftop in the Gold Coast? And how many police were involved in that? And, of course, they issued... Uh, fines to each of these guys that you know the the fine for being too close to each other i mean it's getting ridiculous but what i was getting to was there was a group of orthodox jewish people in i think melbourne Mm -hmm. who were busted for having a prayer meeting of some kind by the police but it doesn't say and this is from the, the show notes that you supplied trevor it says police warned men meeting at the same venue on Wednesday and issued several warnings to the organiser of the group to not hold gatherings. Police attended the location again on Thursday after being made aware of people heading to the address for a meeting. Nowhere in the report does it say any fines were issued. And yet, you know, as we know, people all over Australia are getting fined for the most ridiculous reasons. So is that a, a case of uh, the police treading warily because this was a, a minority religious group, do you think?
1: Could be. They in Victoria. Maybe they're just uh, it's certainly more, more sensible down there. Uh,
2: I had a chat with a cop as I was standing in line to get a coffee um, through the week, and I asked him about how busy he was, and he said he's very busy, um, and... Um, the the increase that they're seeing is from domestic violence. Mm,
0: yeah, that was predicted. So you so he's basically indicating that that has panned out. In fact, mm,
2: yeah, in his opinion, this is just one guy's opinion. Mm, but yeah. domestic violence. But there's also he said he was busy um, with callouts from people dobbing
1: on their neighbours. <laughs> right. Yeah.
0: Nice neighbours. But then on the other hand yeah.
1: there'd be a lot less traffic accidents, there'd be a lot less break and enters because people are home. I guess maybe at workplaces they're still occurring. But uh there'd be other parts of the police force that'd be quite quiet because people mm. are home. So yeah. Um one of the th- well, it's gonna be interesting to see because uh Paul, you would be concerned at the infringement of our civil liberties that we are concerned. That we have accepted to date and I think Australians have gone well. This looks pretty serious. We don't want to have a disaster. We'll agree to some fairly draconian measures for the moment, but um, yeah, I think people are you going to will, sign up to the app. Uh, well, that was my question. Um, so, sorry, do, do, you, do you want to explain? Do you what do you know about the app?
2: Uh, So something I learnt just recently is that it's only going to register contact with somebody within 1.5 metres for more than 15
1: minutes. Yeah. So it doesn't track your location as such. It just identifies... Other Pings phones, device. yes. Whether you're in a vicinity of another phone, not,
2: and it's only going to ping another device when it's within one point five meters, and it's only going to keep a record of that um, interaction for more than fifteen minutes. So that's basically someone you're standing next to on a train or a bus,
0: mm.
2: or someone you're sleeping with.
0: I think. Mm. <laughs> Do you um, sleep with your phone, Warren, and does your partner sleep yeah, t- with yeah. the phone?
1: No, that's too, much, too, much, much, too much information. Know. I don't want to know.
0: How does your phone know you're in bed with someone, for goodness sake? Unless which par- which partner, Paul? Yeah. Well, yeah. whichever. You know, <laughs> yeah. Your phone is only going to respond to the proxy. Well, that's what I'm concerned about. All my partners phone. are going to
2: find out about each other.
0: Well, they yeah. might, yeah. yeah. <laughs> This could be the end of your... Yeah. Um, I think that's what Barnaby's
2: uh, worried about. He's, he's against the idea of, <laughs> not I, surprisingly.
0: I, I think
1: I... Well, in New Zealand, Jacinda Ardern has recommended a, just a logbook, just write down where you are at any time. If you're under a lockdown like we are at the moment, you should be able to identify people you've spent exactly. more than 15 minutes with by saying...
2: Closer to 1.5 minutes.
1: Yeah, I, I, so really, other than the people in this house, there's, you know, there's there's nobody. So because if you're at the shops getting some bread and milk and supplies, you're not going to be close enough to anybody to trigger that app anyway. So not for 15 minutes. So I'm not going to sign up for it. I don't trust them. uh, And I don't think there's value in it. You don't trust the government, Trevor. No, I don't think there's value in it that I couldn't get just through a pen and paper and, my memory of people I' dealt with in the previous week, so yeah
0: look i i'm not in principle against the, um, the the measures implemented by the government in terms of keeping us apart. you know obviously there's some logic in that what what i what makes me angry is the cops going around finding people you know for the most you know trivial yeah things when really the cops are supposed to be serving the public now if if i was put in charge of the police force in this state i would be telling all those under me use some goddamn some common sense and discretion you know warn people explain to them why they need to keep a distance mm. instead of whipping out the fine book you know so mm. hastily i just i don't think that's a good look for the police mm. i think the police would get a lot more public support if they, you know, even pretended that they were actually serving the public instead of discipline and pum- punish being their, you know, main sort of... Motive. I totally agree with you,
1: Paul. Look, just to prove that I do read the comments, uh, Murray in the chat room said, 1.5 metres is a bit specific for Bluetooth if it can go up to 10 metres. And if so, what do people in apartments do? Or you could have your bedroom adjacent to people in the next unit and your phones register. So... <laughs> I think if you're found to have uh, coronavirus then and you're in an apartment building, basically mm. the authorities would have to say to the people in the adjacent units, as a matter of course, that there's a guy over here who had it. So you mm. may have, through door handles or balustrades or whatever, mm. come into mm. contact, uh, either get tested or whatever. So um, there we go.
0: Can I admit to violating the public distancing regulations? Oh, I, I, I want to ask your oh, opinion. Do you want to do that yeah. on, on, the, it, on the program? Yeah, or? I know, I know. But, look, it's probably already captured on closed-circuit TV anyway, so just give me your opinion. Should I expect to receive a, a fine notice in the mail? Because I drove a flatmate to the, to the airport on Saturday and, you know, she was leaving the country Probably I may never see her again in my life, and she was quite a nice person. So I, I spontaneously gave her a hug, you know. Mm. And it's all captured on, on closed circuit mm. TV at the airport, of course. So mm. uh, oh. of course they would they would have my registration number of my car. So. Next week, do you think I'll get a notice in the mail?
2: Yeah, you won't be on next week's episode, Paul. The authorities will be knocking on your door. I'll be behind
1: bars. But but when this all blew up initially, uh, just in the very early stages, I took my mother for a drive and she loves fish and chips, so I took her to Sandgate and bought some fish and chips and I said, look, we're not supposed to be outside unless we're exercising. So what we'll do is we'll just sit in the car looking out at the bay, eating a fish and chips inside the car. And between us and the bay was uh, some sort of tables and, and, and there was about four different groups of couples, some male-female, some male-male, some female-female. Like, it was a very picturesque, beautiful day. And sure enough, the police came along to each of those groups and said... Um just a warning, you're not supposed to be doing this unless you're exercising. You should not be just sitting and finish Mm -hmm. up what you're doing, and I'm not gonna find you this time, but move on. And we were just sitting in the car um so they didn't approach us, but it just felt very um uh 1984-ish, wasn't it? It was yeah, Yeah, it's spooky. Mm. And people will uh you know, you'll be accepting of that in the early days of a pandemic and thinking, well, not sure how serious this all is. Maybe this is necessary or whatever. But I think people are going to start to look at it and go, hang on a minute. You need to dial this back a bit. This is mm. just too much. So it'll um, be interesting to see how people respond. Um, you know, Australians will give a fair go if they think it's warranted. But when they sense that this is too far. Um,
2: yeah, oh, oh, one of the things that I've learned out of this whole pandemic saga is that people's respect for authority and unquestioning respect for authority and rules, you know, and that's what led to a lot of the world's problems like, you know, the the, the Nazis that worked in concentration camps, you know, during the Nazi trials used the excuse I was just following orders, mm. you know, and people lots of people by default just follow orders and are happy to follow orders and don't question the intent of those rules. Don't try and understand what the rules are trying to achieve. It's just like they want to be told, here's what you need to do. And then bang, I'm not even going to think about it. I'm just going to do it. Mm. And that's that's a dangerous situation to be in. And I'm trying to remember the name of that famous experiment that was done in yeah. the 60s. Oh, yeah.
1: where they were doing the... Uh, electric shocks. Yeah. Um, yeah, was, yeah. yeah, they had electric shocks. There's also the one where they had prisoners and they had prison guards yes, and they right. were treating mm. people appallingly in those situations, mm. yeah.
2: Mm. And there was a guy there standing in a lab coat. That's right. Board yeah. Instructing these people to administer these oh, electric, electric shocks. Yeah. Which were fake. Which were, which were fake, but... For all intents and purposes, they thought they were killing the subject.
1: That's right, and the person was screaming yes. and yelling and saying, "Stop! I can't take it anymore!" And that's the, right. And, and, and the and guy was saying, "You have just, to, you have to give him another shock." Oh, okay, uh, do bang, button. Yeah. Mm.
2: <laughs> like, but this is a situation that we find ourselves in now yeah. with these social distancing laws. People are just yeah. not thinking about the intent of the laws, not not using their common sense, just following the law. Mm. That's what I've been told. That's what I'm going to do.
1: Mm. Yep. It's sad. Yep. Uh, just finally, um, we will finish up now. Um, did you guys... Um, uh, Deep Throat told us about flu tracking. So I signed up for the flu tracker, and basically I've been getting an email every Monday morning asking me whether I've got symptoms, uh, runny nose or cough or whatever, and have I had the flu injection, et cetera. And then it shows you a graph, which is basically the um rate of a five-year average of of people having flu symptoms in uh the previous five years compared to what they're getting now from flu tracker Mm -hmm. and the the incidence of flu-like symptoms is currently down at like 0.25 of a percent whereas normally it's somewhere around getting close to two percent and um that's one of the things. That's is, significant, yeah. And so, one of the things is that we are being so hygienic and so careful, and we are not interacting with people. Just, just ordinary incidences of the flu are mm. way down uh, compared to what they would be otherwise. So.
2: Mm. Well, that's right. Between fifteen hundred and three thousand Australians die of the flu every year. So, mm. that's mm. about forty three on average mm. per week. Mm. You know, we've had seventy one deaths in a month and a half, nearly two months from COVID-19. So if this lockdown proves that we can halve the amount of deaths that we get through influenza, should the government put us all into lockdown for the entire winter because it's going to save lives?
1: No. <laughs> but the whole thing about this <laughs> There's lo- a
2: price on the life, right? Yes. And that's what a lot of people are struggling to understand. And mm. you're hearing... Um, uh, respected journalists say stuff like you can't put a price on a life, mm. which is just nonsense.
0: And I know you guys don't watch Q&A and I don't watch it anymore either, but there was a, a discussion on this on Monday evening and I just saw a, a short clip on a on a news article on the internet uh, showing this woman who is not, what was she, what's her job, I forget now, but she was saying there, there are ways of measuring uh, quality of life that comes from working and having an income and things like this. And she's basically arguing that some people are seeing a decline in their quality of life caused by the lockdown, which is perhaps greater than the decline in the quality of their life that, they might have experienced from catching COVID-19. I don't know. I mean, well, I mean, you'd have to spread that across the whole population. Of
2: yeah, it's a, it's a question of balancing it that's out, right. isn't it? The pros and the cons. And at the moment, the whole society seems to be focused on one single metric mm. and yes. our performance as exactly. a society has been measured by one single metric. Now, mm. to draw an analogy, that's like saying, you know, uh, trying to measure someone's fitness Purely by how many push-ups they can do. Mm. Like, There's a lot how many more to it. push-ups can you
0: do, while, Warren? Mm. You can do oh, many.
2: How, how many can you do, Paul? Yeah.
0: About three.
2: Mm. Oh, well, I, can, I can do more than that.
1: Good but, but the sort of the whole point of this lockdown was the risk that our hospital system would be totally overrun. And, yes, um, so, and it's got to
2: about 2% of capacity. Yeah.
1: So we are prepared to accept deaths from coronavirus, and it's just that we don't want a situation where the hospitals will be totally overrun. You know, in a chaotic, And haven't we avoided that scenes.
2: thing? Haven't we avoided well, we that? have, I mean, but it's if if not like... If you look at the number of ICU
1: beds, I think that we maxed out at about
2: 2% of capacity, yeah. Yeah. and that's not including the additional ICU beds yeah. that we've
1: but, rustled up but un- yes. In the meantime. Yeah. But, uh, and, and that was the,
2: you know, the strategy was developed to, to achieve that goal, right? And we've achieved that goal. And now it seems like we're coming up with goals to justify the strategy.
1: Well, the problem is if you just were to allow a complete free-for-all, for example, then it, it's not going to go away and it will exponentially come back. So uh, that's the problem. Like, it's, we've bought ourselves time to think about mm. what we can do. And I don't think that's, anyone's that's, suggesting
2: just yeah. going back to business yeah. as usual. Yeah, but
1: we've bought ourselves time to consider what uh, we should now do as a reasoned and measured sort of way forward, um, accepting mm. that, okay, if we open up a little bit and it costs a handful of lives, well, that's okay because that's just going to happen. So yeah, we can't...
2: But I think the politicians have backed themselves into a corner here because if they relax the isolation or the, the social distancing rules mm. and then there's a spike, they will be
1: mm.
2: held responsible for that.
1: Well, what do you think? Have they got it right so far overall? No. Has Morrison got it right? No. What did he get? Think- what, what, what would you... I Where has he failed? They too strong? Too, not strong enough? What What are you saying?
2: Too slow to act initially, and now they're being too slow taking the restrictions off.
1: Right. And so what restrictions should come off now, in your opinion? Well,
2: I think we should be able to travel from state to state. I, I don't see the sense of shutting state borders. I mean, every state has essentially has the same saturation of infection as the other states. So from, you know, if I was to drive to Byron Bay, there's just as much COVID-19 in Byron Bay as there is here in Brisbane. Um, I would would open up cafes and restaurants and and limit the number of people that could be in those establishments. Mm -hmm. Um, I think... uh, uh, you know there should be we, sh- we should be playing football but w- without the crowds you know mm-hmm. we should we should essentially be designing our rules to stop those super spreading events right so you know um, air travel space the distance out between the people like don't have packed planes
1: okay, but just so, say with the cafe for example mm. with table service. Yeah, yeah. Well, one one waiter with coronavirus mm. working a long shift and handing mm. plates to people yeah. and could...
2: It's a risk, definitely, could, but, I mean, I mean, cafes are open at the moment and you can go and um, order a takeaway. Yeah. And there's no greater risk from standing at the counter and saying, I'll have a flat white, please, and that interface that you have with the waiter. Um, yeah, I just, I think we should be taking more of the Sweden approach.
1: But Sweden yeah, is was- turning into a catastrophe though, isn't
2: it? Well, no. Sweden? No, it's not. No, it's not. If you look at the data, Sweden's performing much better than the United States and the UK and Belgium and the Netherlands and places where lockdown is very stringent.
1: I, I thought the data was showing that, that they're having a terrible time in Sweden. No, no,
2: it's not. I'll send you the graphs later. Okay. Yeah. Mm.
1: And that's, that's another thing that I've
2: sort of learned out of this whole pandemic is that people are judging their opinions off anecdotal evidence and there's a, there's a, there's a reluctance to look at the data. You
1: know, Murray you know. says, yes, it is. What do you mean, Murray? Yes, what is what? So Sweden <laughs> is doing terrible or it's... Or, uh, it's doing well. Right. It's doing better than the USA, but the USA is a bad benchmark, I think is what he's saying. So, yeah.
0: Mm. Yeah. Can I ask you guys in the future when the vaccine is finally uh, available, are you guys going to be if, having it? If, well, if there is
1: one, I'll have one
0: for sure. Do you, do you get an influenza vaccination every year? Yes, I do. Yeah. How about you, Warren? I'm
1: pretty lazy,
2: but I've, I'm, I don't object to having vaccines.
0: No. no, no, I'm not against vaccines, but I've just never had a flu vaccination ever, mm. and I, I probably should. I, I don't get the flu for some reason, uh, mm. so I've never bothered with it. You know, if I if I was a person that did suffer from influenza, of course. I would get a vaccination, but I just never get it for some reason. So I've just—I
2: thought- do lots of things that are yeah. not good for my health.
1: It's—it's yeah. <laughs> really? it's probably only in recent sort of half dozen years that I have basically because I've got an elderly mother living with me. So mm-hmm. I take her for a flu injection. So I might as well get one myself while I'm there, and mm-hmm. also just so I don't end up giving her one. So, yeah. Um, so yeah. So my circumstances yeah. have changed a bit. Sort of more than five years ago, I probably didn't get
0: mm-hmm. one. I wonder how big a role the hand, ex, extra hand-washing has in this because I've mm. I've always been a person who, who washes my hands quite frequently, you know, mm. and mm. I don't get a lot of these sorts of illnesses for some reason. Yeah. So I wonder if there's a link there. Mm. Will we maybe all continue to wash our hands a lot? Maybe you've just the- got a robust
1: constitution, 12th man. So, maybe. Yeah, maybe. All right, guys, I reckon we've run out of steam um, uh, we'll call it a day. So just a reminder, check your app over the next few days for the Iron Fist Velvet Glove Anzac Day special. And the idea, is, the idea is that on Anzac Day, uh, when you get up at dawn, stand on your driveway and uh, listen to a, 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 an Anzac Day ceremony like you've never heard before, I'll try and keep it to about 20 minutes.
0: Are you going um, to include any it. religious elements? At uh, all?
1: No, there'll be nothing religious except I think I will have a poem by a Satanist, but it won't be anything well, of a religious nature to it. So you Robin Bristow wrote a very nice little poem which I'm considering mm-hmm. using. So um yes. so you're yeah, saying, saying that Satanists are a proper religion? religion? They are. Oh. A Satanist. Satanism is a proper religion, without a doubt. Hmm. Yep. So it meets all the requirements. So
0: Right. What do you think about the, um, you know, the suggestion that we all go and stand at, at the, uh, the, the end of our driveway, on, uh, on the morning of Anzac Day?
1: Great suggestion, provided you're listening to episode 250 of this pod, <laughs> of this podcast. <laughs> Or you can do it in bed, if you like, if you just want to lie in bed.
2: Broadcast whatever. it on yeah. your street with loudspeakers.
1: <laughs> yeah, so there you go. Great idea. All right, that's us. Thanks, Woz, for a last-minute uh, entry onto the podcast. Very Happy good. Happy
0: to help. I yep. have, I have fun yep. I and thank,
1: thank you, 12th man, as always.
0: <laughs> thank you, Trevor, and thank you, Woz, for right. your assistance this evening and for your no participation. Worries.
1: Keep an eye mean? out for that ANZAC Day special, and we will be back um, uh, tuesday next week uh murray says fist is it the case for 15 minutes no I, i've got to be <coughs> very careful murray that um you can't use copyrighted music so mm-hmm. there will be some um some piano music which i've found that is not copyrighted that i can use but i really wanted to use um and the blend and the band played Walsing matilda by eric i love Vogel. that song But I contacted the guy and asked, and I got no response. So um, Mm. I would really have liked to have used that. uh,
0: It's a a wonderful song.
1: Mm. I'll read all your comments, Murray. Don't
2: worry
3: about that.
1: Yep. Thanks in the chat room. We'll see you later. Thank you, everybody, and uh, bye for now. Cheers. Bye, everyone.
3: As you can see, we've had our eye on you for some time now, Mr. Anderson. It seems that you've been living two lives one of these lives has a future and one of them does not I'm going to be as forthcoming as I can be Mr. Anderson you're here because we need your help my colleagues believe that I'm wasting my time with you But I believe you wish to do the right thing. We're willing to wipe the slate clean. Give you a fresh start. All that we're asking in return is your cooperation in... A
1: simple donation of one dollar per episode.
3: Wow, that sounds like a really good deal. But I think I got a better one. How about I give you the finger... And you give me my free,
1: free podcast. Oh. oh,
3: Mr. Anderson. You disappoint me. You can't scare me with this Gestapo crap. I know my rights. I want my free,
1: free podcast.
3: And tell me, Mr. Anderson, what good is a podcast if you're unable
1: to hear?